This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. If Will Power's going to do it, he's going to do it now, Michael Young, with nine seconds left in the session. Well, he got through that outlap okay. Now he's on that flyer. Can he make it pole number six here on the road course at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? We talked about the five poles. We talked about the five wins. He's through turn five. Now turn number six. Will Power trying to get the pole here at Indianapolis. Final lap for Will Power as he's making his way down to turn number seven. That car is hauling. The nose is red. The rear of that car is black. Verizon, the familiar sponsorship. Will Power heading for that timing line, Jake, right in front of you. Will Power's boss owns the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but it is though it is as though he bought the road course from Will Power because he has flat out owned it so far in his career here. Will Power, I think, is off the accelerator into turn number 12. Mark will see how things shake out, but Will Power now brings his car in and is going to head to pit road. And uh, Will Power with a really strong run. He goes to P1. Uh, I would say when I was looking at the sectors, uh, I thought this is a pretty good lap on used tyres. It's only two tenths off what I had done, but I just know how tough the field is, so I did my absolute best, especially in that last sector, just knowing how tight it would be, and um, when I heard the, uh, uh, Ron on my stratus on the radio yell, I thought, ah, maybe we got this, uh, which, yeah, man, I've been, like, aiming for a pole for a while, so pretty stoked. And with that, that's now your 64th career pole. That brings you within three of Mario Andretti's all-time record. I think you might be keeping track of that, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, I, I know it's around. I know. I think. I, yeah, I got to get four to to surpass him. Three to three to equal him. Um, but can't really think of that. They don't come when you're thinking of that stuff. You just got to do your job. And if it comes, that will be amazing. If it doesn't, I feel so blessed to have got so close. Hey there, and welcome. It's the sounds of the month of May at Indianapolis. Welcome to Trackside. I'm Kurt Cavan, along with Kevin Lee, who is only a few minutes removed from hosting race one of the Indy Lights Grand Prix of Indianapolis. Eddie Garrison is back in our Indianapolis Worldwide Headquarters, Venice Communications. He'll be producing tonight's show. We've got a lot of powerful things to talk about. How's that? Will Power, a big day, a big day indeed. He wins the poll for tomorrow's GMR Grand Prix of Indianapolis, and it will be the fifth race of the season. Maybe more importantly, 64 poles now in Will Power's career, three shy of Mario Andretti's record that we kind of thought might stand forever, but it might not stand through the end of the year the way this is going. And Will, because uh, we know we got at least one more race at Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the road course, and Will Power has been just the dominant driver on this circuit over the years that now is six poles for him. He has five wins. Four of those wins have come from the pole. And so he'll give that a shot tomorrow at three o'clock uh, NBC broadcast and IndyCar radio network and all the various affiliates there, Sirius XM and race control and all the places that you get your, uh, your MS communications listening online here from the radio station Again, broadcast begins about 3 o'clock with the green flag at 3.45. So lots of uh, opportunities for you to consume the product tomorrow. We also had a lot of interesting Road to Indy and Indy Lights action today. Again, the race that Kevin just finished calling with Charlie Kimball 
won by Daniel Frost, his first career victory in the series. Indy Pro 2000 went to Braden Eves, which was his fifth career win, but the first one here at IMS since his spectacular flip off uh, turn 11 in 2020. So redemption for Braden Eves. And Alex Quinn, if you don't know that name, there's good reason. This was his first USF 2000 race, and he wins in pretty convincing fashion. Uh, moved up through the field and and took the lead and controlled the, the finish. So there you go. That's uh, gives you kind of the early look at what we'll be talking about tonight. We'll give you the Firestone Fast Six right here. Will Power wins the pole just a little bit ahead of Alex Pillow. Joseph Newgarden and Connor Daly will start on the second row for tomorrow's race. Pato Award and Felix Rosenquist give Arrow McLaren SP a lockup of row three. And then some more interesting names as we move seven through 12. Felix, uh, excuse me, Callum Eilat, the rookie, his best qualifying position in seventh. Christian Lundgaard, who qualified fourth for this race last year. Well, actually, it was not this race, but it was the most recent race on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course. He's in the eighth spot. Jack Harvey is ninth. Romain Grosjean, who finished second in both races last year, will start 10th. Scott McLaughlin is 11th. And Graham Rahal rounds out the top 12. Also interesting that in the final 15 starting spots, there will be six Indianapolis 500 winners who have combined for 11 victories on the big track. And I think that just speaks to the parity to the competition, to the challenge that everyone faces as they come here to qualify. 27 car and driver combinations for tomorrow's race, and it's tough. I mean, it's. I think there was a point yesterday, or excuse me, in the morning session, maybe in the, the second session, the time difference between third or fourth all the way down to like 18th was like a, a quarter of a second. I mean, it was, it was literally just inches it seemed of course that's several feet probably but but the point is it's uh really tight uh really competitive but you can always count on willpower and so he delivered again so in transit i think is my uh longtime partner kevin kevin are you with us i am hello hello callers <laughs> first time caller long time listener uh i assume you've got uh, a, a driver who who uh raced today is he your your pilot on your way back to uh the homestead as far as the authorities know i'm definitely in mobile a lot of things <laughs> there's only one voice in my ear right now about things because usually uh tv broadcast things i'm listening to all right. Well, you're a little choppy. I'm not sure when uh, when you'll arrive in in your location, but we may have to to carry much of the load going forward. Um, so it was yeah, it was a really good day, really hot day here at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And if you're joining us tomorrow, you want to. I'm not real sure what we're going to have from the standpoint of uh, you know we've obviously had really warm conditions the last few days you know, mid to upper 80s with uh, a lot of sun beating down on the racetrack. But there is at least uh, some chance uh, for rain tomorrow, and it may get uh, more than that, but we'll see. Uh, obviously, we're prepared to race in, in the rain on the road course, and, 
And so, uh, Kevin, what have you heard about uh, weather forecasts and, and what drivers are saying relative to being interested in racing in the rain? I know from the fan standpoint, on a viewership, if you're watching from home, it's a very interesting uh, thing to have IndyCars race on the on the road course in the rain, but uh, maybe not so much for the fans present. But it'll be interesting. What do the drivers think? Uh, some drivers said, we think it's going to rain, so we're not really worried about how things are today. But I'll be honest, I haven't stopped yet today, so I have not looked at a forecast since yesterday, in part because I know that a forecast Tuesday, two days in advance is worthless. So now within 24 hours, they got a better chance of getting it right. What is it saying at this point? So it says 70% uh, tomorrow, according to uh, the weather apps, and but starting when? at noon, noon, Noon begins 50%, uh, 60% at 1, 2, and 70% by 3 o'clock, 80% by 5. So I think it's fairly certain that uh, you ought to bring your rain jacket and an umbrella because at some point during this window of time when you're at the speedway, I think you're going to see some precipitation. So normally guys that are thought to be fast – well, normally, if you, you had a bad qualifying, you are inviting rain. But that's something Alexander Rossi mentioned. You know, I've got an extra set of reds, but not advancing. Colton Herta, the same thing. He wasn't super optimistic about making his way forward, though. Uh, but that negates all that. That takes out the red tire advantage. But it does mix things up in the rain. And that might tell you, you know, Hinch and I were kind of debating on the air that we were both a little bit surprised that Ed Carpenter Racing – decided let's go ahead and use both sets of reds and put some more life on them uh, to try to advance. And it turns out that they're smarter than us because they picked up two spots instead of just conceding sixth. But I think that's likely another reason. Um, yes, it's going to be a red race if it's dry, but if there's a good chance of rain, let's use them while we got them because there are going to be no tire rules and it may be just a full wet race. Yeah, I think I think uh, you know you listen to Will Power and Alex Pillow, the two drivers that start on the front row tomorrow, and they're both hoping for a straightforward race. They they sure. don't they don't they don't look forward to any rain. They want things to be even, Stephen, and and proceed as as you can on speed. And you know Joseph Newgarden has to be thinking the kind of the same thing too. And Connor, they're up front, so you know those are the kind of uh, wishes for those that start in the front. But you know, I guess the other question is, and I don't know that I have an answer because we've had so few rain races over the course of of the last you know five six years in IndyCar. Uh, I don't know who, if 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 any of the drivers are you know advantaged by being in the wet conditions. Uh, you know, they probably all have maybe the guys who have raced in Europe more in, in recent years might might be, you know, a little bit more experienced in the rain. But again, they haven't been running an IndyCar in the rain and we haven't seen many rain races. So I don't know what it means. Yeah, I don't know that I can say anyone is better in the rain. We've we've always kind of felt like Takuma Sato was strong in the rain. Um, but, you know, I don't think there's anyone you just say, yeah, this is the guy that's most hoping that it's going to rain. Everybody's done it, but not a whole lot of people have done it in IndyCar. And that's still a big question, too, is what is the spray going to be like with the aero screens? They had that test at Barber a couple of years ago, and I think they feel pretty optimistic it's not going to be an issue. And maybe in some ways it, it might be better. Uh, yes, you, you have all of the water. 
on the arrow screen, but boy, there was no visibility at all. And you just get soaked inside the cockpit. So maybe it turns out to be no worse than it was before. And in some ways, maybe even better. Yeah, I think um, I know Jay Fry is pretty optimistic uh, based on on the test they did yeah. and, and and so forth. And again, I, I I wouldn't expect to be a problem. But again, some of these drivers have adopted adapted better to the aero screen than others with rain on it. I don't know. Another neutralizing factor. Again, we'll, I guess we'll just have to see how race conditions are and and how wet it becomes. Um you know, like I said, those the guys who have been in Europe in recent years tend to be in more race conditions like rain or mm-hmm. wet conditions. But again, they haven't like guys like Callum Eilat, Christian Lundgaard, but they haven't been anything been in a car anything like this on uh, you know to compare it to. And I wonder what the conditions will be like because it's so hot and there's so much rubber on the track. I got to think it's going to be really slick with a fully rubbered in track when it gets wet on like that. But uh, it, it may not be super fun for everybody involved, but it'll be super fun to watch on television, listen on the radio if uh, we see a rain race. You know, the, the road to Indy cars, Indy lights, whatever. They put on fantastic races here because that draft is huge down the main straightaway. There is a draft in an Indy car, but it is more difficult to pass. Uh, and this one does tend to become a little bit more processional. Uh, you do have some wide pit windows that can open things up. So rain will really bring some different variants into this race. But the other thing, though, that might, even if it's dry, make it interesting is there's a big gap between the reds and the blacks. And some are going to start on reds and some are going to start on blacks. And, and I think that's how we're going to see overtaking is because as tires fall off and on the different compounds, that should help make things interesting. Let's talk a little bit more about Will Power. This is now uh, polls that he has won in 16 of his 17 races in these in this series, 14 consecutive Uh, years where he's had at least one pole and of course many of those years he's had three four or five they've been a little more difficult to come by in recent years uh the competition is more fierce uh guys like colton herta and pato award have come on the scene so that's made it a little more challenging uh you know i look back he talked about how long it had been for a road course pole for him and it was at saint pete at the end of the 2020 season but that was, you know, 14 races ago. That was a long time ago for, for power. He did win an oval last year, an oval pole last year at uh, St. Louis. But, you know, and I think you were in transition from being on pit road to getting up to the booth when he crossed uh, the line with that 64th career pole today. But I, but I sense a different perspective from him, much more kind of, I think, relaxed about it, uh, mm-hmm. appreciative of his opportunities. He didn't jump out of the car and, and, and do his uh, all the jubilation that he's been known for. It seemed very reserved. Uh, what do you make of that? And that surprised me a little bit. So when I got up to the booth, I asked Lee Diffie, I said, what was power like? So I saw he had won the poll, but I didn't see the post-race or post-qualifying interview because he has been very animated for polls before. And I know what this means to him. I know the clip we heard on IndyCar Radio that he downplayed it a little bit, but he's brought it up to me several times without me even asking. 
you know, that this is important to him. And we talked about it again before the season this year. That matters to him. And he knows how difficult it's getting. And, and maybe this is just kind of part of that reset that we've talked about on, on TV before. I've talked to him. Marty's talked to him. Uh, Diff has talked to him. That he seems to be in a really good headspace right now. He's always been in good shape, but he feels like he's even better shape than he has been before. And I just don't think he's putting a whole lot of pressure on himself. I think he feels like everything is a bonus at this point. He's already had a remarkable career. He's won the Indy 500. He's won a championship. He's won 60-plus polls. Let's enjoy it and take what's available. And I think that approach this year with really no one talking about him, maybe they weren't talking about him a lot lot last year, but for more than a decade, he was one of the picks to win championships coming in. And he wasn't talked about much this year. And here we're finding him just because of his consistency, even without a poll until today, he's right there in the mix. And he is, you know, two race wins this month away from taking a, a little bit of control of the championship if it goes to form, because I, I think Chevy is really going to be difficult to beat throughout this month. Boy, I do too. And I think uh, Team Penske's really set up well, not only for, uh, tomorrow's race, but the Indy 500 as well. Uh, Will has a third place finish this season and three fourth place finishes and still is kind of overshadowed by his teammates, Scott McLaughlin winning, Joseph Newgarden, the other teammate having won two races and out Al- Alex Polo being the series points leader. Uh, but, um, you know, power's consistently been there. And and one of the things that I thought was interesting, Townsend Bell mentioned on the NBC broadcast today, and he didn't finish his thought process, and I wish he would have, but he said he asked Power the other day, if, if I gave you a choice, an Indy 500 win, a series championship, or Mario Andretti's record, which would you take? And he didn't, Townsend didn't say which, which one Will selected. Uh, I suspect... And I think I would put money on that he'd take the Indy 500 victory first. But the way Townsend framed the question led me to believe that that power was a little bit closer in in or having trouble answering that question because the Mario Andretti record is that important to him. Well, and, and what it signifies is if you have that, you could say I'm the fastest man ever in IndyCar history. And you're beating a record that Mario Andretti holds. Uh, nobody's going to catch Foyt for the all-time win record, I would not think, in any environment in, in our lifetime. But that one is up there, and it's attainable, and it's really only attainable for Will Power. So I, I agree with you that I think, you know, if he thought about it for a while, he's still going to say a second Indy 500 is what gets it done. But that's what he's been known as, as being the fastest guy in IndyCar. And then it would really be no debate. It'd be there on paper statistically. So it, it probably does make him pause just a moment. Yeah, I was going to look uh, to see how far back the next closest was. I've looked at that figure uh, to see, you know, literally how long it might take somebody else uh, to get there. And, and I don't think there's, there's anybody in the sport currently who can get there. I can't find it on on uh, uh, internet search real quick. But Elio is close, but obviously he's not going to get there at this point. I'm going to say Elio has around 50, something like yeah, that. He, he's in that He does have 50. 50. Okay, 50. but, boy, that's a good trivia question. Who that's un- under 40 
I mean, I guess you include Dixon, but Dixon, you know, is probably in the mid to high 20s in polls in his career. So he's obviously not going to get there. So then you're looking at the younger generation and no, there's, there's, I don't think there's anyone that's driving right now, unless it's a first or second year driver, you know, we can't predict what Alex Palou is going to do for the next 15 years, but I don't think there's anyone we can say is ever going to sniff this one. Yeah. And and Palou hasn't, despite his success and his consistently consistency that we talk a lot about, he hasn't been a big pole winner, uh, even to this point in his first three years in IndyCar. So, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, we could put Pelot on that list. He'd have to get hot pretty quick. You know, power was winning polls six, five, six at a time in a season. And, you know, certainly Alex Pelot's not anywhere near that. And he's already 25 years old. So it's a, it's an interesting question. And, and as we said, I mean, unless, well, there's no way Elio gets there with 50. I mean, he'd need, you know, he, the question, you know, maybe a better question. We kind of joked around about this or discussed it a little bit last night. You know, does he even have enough for, uh, you know, the next two seasons, let alone one, you know, probably get one, one and a half more seasons for sure. But after that, you know, running some Indy 500s, I mean, maybe he gets a couple more polls on, on ovals, but I, I don't see him winning, winning polls on road courses at this point in his career. So. Yeah, I don't. I don't think anybody uh, who's currently driving, and I, I haven't been able to pull that chart up. I, did, I left my media guide over at my desk. Uh, came to one of these sound booth rooms, which is pretty nice, by the way. So nice. So I, I have the list in front of me. I, I have uh, active drivers. So Dixon is at twenty-seven. Of the younger guys, uh, Joseph Newgarden has fifteen. And that's the most of anybody that still potentially has more in front of them than behind them. Pagano has 13. Sato has 10. So, you know, I guess Colton Herta would be the one that it's way too early to say. Colton Herta has already won eight polls, and he's, what, 22 years old? So he would be the one that it's impossible to predict. But if he were to do his entire career in IndyCar, not move over to Formula One for a little while, and run for another 20, 25 years, you know, that's probably the one that if it goes fantastic but that's kind of silly to even discuss you know somebody getting uh 50 plus more polls at this point the point is that willpower is really good at this and that's a cool storyline that he's in the mix and you know i think maybe the next one to get to is the other side of things i mentioned dixon so he he kind of uh showed just a little bit of frustration to me before we uh before qualifying and not on camera and then he pretty much amplified that afterwards he's he's a bit fed up because things are just not going very well in the lead up to the race they've been able to salvage something in the race but they are starting way too far back so he made the comment we're taking swings at things we shouldn't be taking swings at uh that that's a swing at the team uh don't you think and they've also had I would say I, I've heard of a couple of uh, minor mistakes where and I forget the details of them, but one of the race weekends, you know, they had the wrong downforce set up on the qualifying car or something like that. So just little things that happen, but they've happened a couple of times now. And yes, that is also what he was referring to because I asked him, you know, when they were 20th after the first practice or the second practice, you know, what can you do? 
are you taking a big swing at it? And he said, that's the problem. We're doing that all the time and we're never getting anywhere. This has to stop. We got to get it figured out and come in with, with a better plan. The whole team had a little different approach. So in the past, they, you know, frankly, I, I think kind of went towards Scott and everyone else adjusted. Well, the dynamics are a little bit different. You've got other race winners on the team. You've got another champion on the team, and you can trust all these people. And it's really a positive about it is that we know what Alex Polo is. We know what Marcus Erickson is, and we can trust their feedback. And, and if they don't like the same kind of car, we still understand what they expect, and that can apply to still help the teammates. So we're allowing the three of them and obviously, Jimmy, in a different situation, is in a different program right now. But the three of those race winners are getting what is believed that they need the most. And that doesn't necessarily come back in the same direction. And for Marcus, it was going pretty well until qualifying. For Polo, it obviously went really well. And for Scott, nowhere. And that's just hugely frustrating right now. Because he's shown, he said we've had good race cars, and he's moved forward. But when you start far back, you know, your best kind of situation is getting a fifth or a sixth, and you don't have a chance to fight for wins. Yeah, he's going to start 21st in this field. Uh, I was going to look up, haven't looked up, how many times he started in the 20s in recent years, but it's not many. Uh, but he'll have some uh, – the misery loves company because there's some other good guys back there with him. As I mentioned, there are six – Indianapolis 500 winners who will start uh, outside the top 12. Takuma Sato in the 13th spot. Alexander Rossi in the 16th spot. Uh, you've got Elio Castroneves in 19th. Uh, let's see who else here. We've got uh, uh, Simon Pagino and uh, no, he's he, he's back there, but I, I don't see him right right at the top. But um, but anyway, and Montoya is back there in 23rd. So you've got – oh, there's there's Pagano in 20th. So you've got a lot of guys back there with a lot of experience. And I, th I quite frankly thought Pagano would be a contender in that top 12. He's not. But I think a lot of people thought they were right there. And we saw a lot of frustration. Let's transition to another guy that had a lot of frustration today, and that's Renus VK. He looked really good early, but uh, not, not so much on the Reds. And that's what's so challenging. And we just look at, and it is a bottom line business, but you see where these drivers are starting and VK starting in 15th and Rossi in 16th and, uh, you know, Dixon in 21st. And you just say it's awful. And then you look at the times and how close that is. So VK 109.95. So he is. Um, three tenths two and a half tenths off of being seventh and being in a pretty decent position now you know i understand that that's still a big gap and that's just how it works but two tenths of a second uh in 70 seconds is a pretty small margin and it just it, it's just how finicky that this sport is and how quickly things can can go wrong and you can miss by just a little bit and you're a long way out back in the day there were six or seven strong programs. And, okay, so if you're one of those and it goes wrong, you're still probably, you know, you're sixth or seventh. You're not 18th. And that's the way it is now. If you miss a little bit, you're 18th, you're 20th, you're 21st, because there's pretty much two dozen that are capable of, oh, I would say starting in the top 12 or so. There's not necessarily two dozen that you say are fast six cars, but, 
you know, even even the young drivers like Malukas and certainly Kirkwood, uh, Devlin D. Francesco, they're going to qualify in the top 10 at some point this season. So sometimes if they get it right and you get it wrong, that's how you end up in the back. Well, I was looking at the so the so-called the back. Marcus Erickson is down there in 18th. Kirkwood, as you mentioned, he's twenty uh, second. Uh, there is some some talent and some people back there that you just wouldn't expect. And boy, the frustration back to back interviews with with Dixon and then VK, you know, just baffled by what happened. And then you know, from VK's, VK standpoint, we saw Connor Daly reach the fast six. So his teammate is is obviously got it figured out and qualifies. Ended up in the fourth spot. Uh, not a big surprise. He was sixth last year and eighth in the other race here at the Speedway on the road course. So he's he's done well on this circuit in qualifying. But but uh, at the, I think VK's, along with Dixon, two guys that are really shaking their heads now. And I think Connor's going to have a good race. As you mentioned, he's qualified well here before, but he felt a little bit better coming in here. And, and he really needs it. He really needs a reset at this point to get things started because that's – you know, that kind of stands out when your teammates rolling along and you're not, and there are always extenuating circumstances and you can get into it. And whether you call it excuses or reasons, whatever it is, uh, it still doesn't make you feel very good or look very good. So to have a result was really big for his confidence. And I, I think, you know, for one, he's due. He got hit at the beginning of last year's race when he started up front. So just get through. Uh, the first few corners, not just turn one, but you need to get all the way back to Holman Boulevard. And I think if he can get through that, he's going to have a pretty good day. Yeah, it was. there was a reference made to uh, the way turn one is inviting uh, because of being like three and four and five wide coming down the front straightaway. Mm-hmm. That maybe more so, I was trying to think of another circuit that is that inviting uh, getting into the first turn, and I think the only one that I can come up with is Portland, where you do like St. Pete to a lesser degree, maybe. But you yeah. just this is one of those places that you just you can kind of get overconfident going into turn one, and that's what happened to Daly last year. The old Cleveland uh, Grand Prix oh, sure. track, yeah. Burke, Burke yeah. Lakefront Airport, was uh, one that was like that. Was Edmonton like that at all? I may not be quite remembering that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, not quite to that extent. But uh, this is one that uh, you can get yourself in trouble, and I'm surprised more people don't. Yep. Well, it makes it entertaining. Uh, and, and it's just hold your breath getting through that, that first corner because, you know, and that's one of the ways that you, you pick up a lot of spots. If you're on the outside there, just be ready to abort and go through the run-through and let them all crash, and you pick up six spots. Yes, indeed. Well, let's uh, let's get to the break because I know we need to hit one. When we come back, I still want to get to another guy. You mentioned Connor Daly, who needs a big race weekend and a, a big result. There's another guy in that Firestone Fast Six that that needs <laughs> needs to show something uh, from a result standpoint. And then I want to get into a little bit of this Indy Lights race, uh, which with 14 cars and pretty spread out, you would have thought uh, we wouldn't have had a lot of contact. But uh, two incidents in particular, which uh, up made great upheaval in the uh, in the final standing so we'll talk about that and more kevin will get reset uh, we'll be back in just a minute here on trackside hi this is will power and you're listening to trackside 
<laughs> I like that. I like that attitude you hear from Will in that in that uh, rejoiner. He's got uh, a lot of flair, and uh, man, if he ever gets to Mario Andretti's record or breaks it, we're going to see a celebration like uh, like few others. So good for him, Kevin. We uh, ended that segment, that last segment, talking about Connor Daly and and what it means for him to finally get a result. Felix Rosenquist, who we've talked a lot about over the last uh, several weeks, needing a result. We don't know what his future with Aero McLaren SP looks like, whether or not he can salvage a position uh, or a job with them in 2023, but but good for them. And I think he, he looked good most of the day as well. And he's been quick all season long. Now he just needs a result, and this is a broken record. We've talked about this during weekends uh, uh, two or three times this year. So he gets the opportunity to start up front, just needs to get to the finish. Doesn't feel like I have to win the race to salvage anything. It'd help a lot, uh, but just getting a top five will remind everyone of what he is capable of. He, he's really good about deflecting and understanding part of the business. Because he says, you know, I've really never had my seat secured for the next year other than just a couple of times in IndyCar. He had a couple of years in the Ganassi deal, and he said, I was kind of lucky to be in a multi-year deal last year as bad as it went, or I'd have been out on my year. Well, he knows now there are going to have to be results, and there have been some extenuating circumstances, not always his fault, but sometimes it has been his fault at Texas. You know, he qualifies on pole, and he misses his marks on pit lane and loses a lot of spots there, and then eventually so maybe that's kind of a wash because there's mechanical out of his control that takes him out of that race. Uh, so the Barber race, he qualified up front. I need to pull up my notes, but they they misca- either miscalculated on fuel or were just getting awful fuel mileage. But I think they feel like it was just simply a miscalculation on fuel at some point, which is why he couldn't get to the end and why he didn't finish 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, which is where he was slotted and st- instead finished, what, 16th or something like that. But yeah, he's in that category that it really needs to get started. And Townsend brought this up, and and I kind of agree with it. We chatted about it today on the the Peacock show. He's in that category that might have to do something this month. I don't know that he has to win, but I do think top five here, top five in the Indy 500 might be enough. Because I may be wrong, but I don't think they, the team at this point would have said, nope, Felix Rosenquist ain't coming back. We don't think he's any good. Uh, They hired him for a reason. So if it can turn, if it can swing, I think it could still make some sense that he might be the best candidate available for their third seat. You know, and I would also add, and I don't interject this a lot because I don't think it's entirely relevant, but he might be in the top two or three nicest guys in this paddock in, in terms of drivers. He is such a mm-hmm. such a transparent. He's a, he tells you what's going on. He you you can read him. He's a, he's a very gentle soul. And and I think he's probably I haven't asked Pato this and I don't know that I'd get a absolute answer or Dixon, but I think they would say he's a great teammate. Uh, I, I just can't imagine there's there's challenges there. I know Scott Dixon really, really liked him. So I think that tells you something. I, I believe that Scott was disappointed that he left. He thought he found something. It's turned out it's worked pretty good. His replacement, Alex Pillow has done okay, but I think you're right. Um, 
I've not asked Pato, or I, I have asked Pato about the relationship, and he, you know, he says all the right things, and I think it's right. But you know, generally everybody always says nice things about their teammate. But I do believe this because Scott's a pretty blunt guy too, and he would deflect the question if he didn't think highly of them. But but I believe he does think super highly of Felix Rosenquist and gave him a lot of credit for the last championship that he won. So that should play into it. Yeah, it should. Yeah, I'm not sure how much it does in a in a bottom results, you know, a results driven business, but uh go ahead. Hey, we were chatting, you know, speaking about that seat and we talked before and I think others have mentioned that is Renus VK someone that is in play for an Errol McLaren SP seat. You I think you asked me this last night. I don't know if I don't think it was on the air. But then uh, somebody else brought this up today, and we had a little chat about it. Would you have a think about Callum Eilat? Oh, I would. (laughs) That's where I was going next. Okay, so let's let's talk about that. Did we talk about that last night? Well, we have talked about it, uh, but I would say to you that uh, that Callum Eilat, with each passing week. gets more impressive he just he seems in such control of his emotions he seems like he's you know obviously he's picking up the speed and qualifying and understanding the nuances of the tires and and so forth by his own admission still needs to put a race together that may be the Mm -hmm. one element to his package that still needs some refinement but but yeah i don't i don't know how you could not want to take a deep dive into into calamilot what has he ran he ran the last 3 races of last season he's run 7 races is that enough to tell you he's worthy of of a ride at the highest level um but i think he's got to be in the conversation it's not enough for us because we didn't watch him in f2 but those that are in the business of deciding these things should have more intel. And a Zach Brown who was in that paddock, either he sure. or his trusted lieutenants should be looking at that. So I'm just throwing that out there as, you know, the assumption is if it's not Felix Rosenquist in that seat, the next best available is Renus VK, and that's who they will go after. But that's just kind of the, the question. Would you consider a Callum Eilat? over Arenas VK, and that's, then it's getting down to what do you think and do you trust your judgment enough? Because obviously the track record in these cars on these tracks would show that Arenas VK is a more known quantity and is a safer bet. But Callum Eilat finished second in the F2 championship, and those of us over here don't know enough about it. I don't know what his team was. Uh, I don't know how good the competition was. I think that was the year that Mick Schumacher won the championship. And Mick Schumacher's good, but I don't know that anyone feels like, you know, he's the next superstar. Other young recent drivers like Lando Norris have been more highly rated when they got there. But if somebody really thinks that, yeah, Callum Callum Eilat just needed an opportunity, he should have been a Formula One driver, let's give him a chance. He also might come a little bit cheaper than someone that is potentially going to have some different options out there. Let's think about that. And as we give credit to Callum Eilat, too, for what he's done, I don't want to take away from what the team is doing because it is a combination. No matter how good the driver is, the team is going to have to get things together, and clearly Hunkos Hollinger has taken a big step forward this year, and that's the fascinating part about motorsport is we never know 
Is it more about the driver? Is it more about the team? Is it the equipment? Is it good fortune? It's all part of the package, which I have to believe makes it super difficult to decide who you're going to hire. Who do you want? Because it's not like other sports where you can time them in the 40 or you can look at their batting average and everybody's playing with the same ball and the same bat and the same dimensions of the field. Nothing is ever equal in motorsport. No, that's that's why a lot of uh, really good journalists I've worked with over the years in the newspaper business have always been a little bit gun shy about about covering motorsports because the number of variables is just immense. You know, you can I've often said I've said on this show that, you know, you can go to a football game or a basketball game and 80 percent of the story plays out in front of you. You don't have to dig. I mean, you the, what you have to dig for is is the last 20%. In this, I think it's just the opposite. I've always thought that 20% is happening right in front of you, and you have to understand in that 80%, the tires choices, What you know, if you're in a, in a series with multiple tire uh, manufacturers, engine choice, uh, pit stops, crew members, engineers, you know, team owners, commitment, uh, driver talent, number of racetracks, all those things play into into form. But I thought you made an interesting point and one I hadn't really considered. Uh, I'm not sure I would choose, you know, I'm not sure I would choose Callum Eilat straight up over Renus VK based on the experience that Renus mm-hmm. has had in this sport. But the team we're talking about is owned by someone who is has many eyes watching the junior formulas, if you want to call them that, of Formula One. And so Errol McLaren SP would probably be more in play for Caleb Eilat or consider him, have more resources to, to consider his talent, meaning they've been watching him for a few years. Uh, I would say they ought to be in a better position or more likely to choose him than, say, Ed Carpenter Racing might have been if, if the situation were different. Uh, that isn't to say that Ed Carpenter Racing or these other IndyCar teams couldn't figure it out pretty quickly. But I would suspect Errol McLaren SP's already got a book on Caleb Eilat, so to speak. And if they've been pretty fond of him, then he's going to be more in the running here than we gave him credit for. And there are others that are tuned into the European scene because it is a worldwide sport. For example, Piers Phillips had his eye on Christian Lungard all last year. That was a guy that he wanted and he and I think some others helped make that happen to get him over and get the test and then get a chance to run in Indianapolis last year where he was really, really fast and it led to a full-time position. So, no, you're right. There are some teams, just like, you know, I go back to baseball again, there are some teams that spent a lot of money on scouting in the Dominican back in the day or in Latin America, and that paid massive dividends. Uh, and other teams that did not and missed out on a pool of talent. And the yeah. the motorsports teams that are doing the same and that are looking worldwide, uh, same thing in the NBA. There are teams that have been better about finding European talent. Now I think every NBA team for the last 15 years has spent a lot of time in Europe, but in the 80s and 90s, not everybody was doing it, and some teams got ahead by picking someone mid-second round that turned out to be uh, you know, Manu Ginobili or something like that. Late first round, whatever the case may be. I know we're getting off task, but uh, that, it, that is part of it is who, who's the best at eyeing talents. You spoke of Hunko's Hollinger um, 
having a good good day. We also saw pretty good strength from Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan with three cars in the top twelve. I I understand that Team Penske did as well, uh, but three cars for that team in the top twelve. Uh, that's a good day for them. They, that's uh, that may be a turning the corner race for them as we we move forward. Although I wrote the other day, you know, this has been one of Jack Harvey's best racetracks. It has been a place where Graham Rahal has finished second on a couple occasions in races on the road course. And uh, we've already talked about Christian Lundgaard in qualifying fourth last year in his uh, maiden IndyCar Series race. He, he raced uh, the next day with food poisoning, so didn't uh, – in mm-hmm. fact, the whole team pretty much had it. So his 12th place finish, probably not indicative of the weekend he was set up to have. But a good day for, for Bobby Rahal's team as well. Um, let's get into some Twitter questions in a moment. So I'm going to reset. I want to catch up on those and then we'll have a good long moment in the final segment when we come back and get you set for racing tomorrow and anything we missed. This is Alex Palou and you're listening to Trackside. It's time for the Indianapolis Speedrome. Circle City news of the day. Make plans to visit the Tomwood Group Indianapolis Speedrome, powered by Lincoln Tech. Tomorrow night, the Speedrome again features family-friendly racing action, great food, free parking, and big fun topped off by the Speedrome's world-famous wild and unpredictable figure eight and the return of big wheel races for kids ages five and under. Adult tickets, $10, kids eight and under free, speedrome.com. Kurt, what is the news of the day? Well, I'm going to go a little off topic because we need to uh, hit Indy Lights real quick. Daniel Frost, his first victory in the series, important because Linus Lundquist and Christian Rasmussen had a contact in turn two that took those two contenders out of contention. Matthew Brabham ran into Benjamin Peterson, took those two title or those two uh, strong contenders out. But good for Daniel Frost uh, to win his first Indy Lights race and uh, there'll be more of those to come, probably. Hunter McElray had a nice bounce back. He had a rough start to the season. He finished second, and Stingray Rob also finished on the podium. They'll race again tomorrow. I think we're in the air at 110 for that tomorrow on Peacock. The uh, IndyCar warm-up is at, is it at 10 or 1030? Uh, 1030. 1030, and then on the air, well, first, 2 o'clock, Pennzoil presents the club on NBC. Also, uh, 3 o'clock on NBC, including Peacock for IndyCar pre-race, leading up to a 345 green flag. So that's our news of the day. And in Indy's dirt track, Circle City Raceway at the Marion County Fairgrounds, sprint cars dominate the month of May. This Sunday, the Jonathan Birds 410 sprint cars headline a full night of action along with Speed 2 Midgets, Outlaw Micros, and the Shirley Unlimited Snow Company UMP Modifieds making their season debut. And during Indy Race Week, USAC National Sprint Cars will be racing the 25th and 26th CircleCityRaceway.com. All right, let's uh, peek into the Twitter inbox because I knew I did not get to all of them last night. And in between, you tell me what we're missing that I have not gotten to tonight we want to deal with. IndyCar Moose says, weird question, didn't the P1 award get a trophy last year? The trophy presentation keeps noting it. Did they skip last year? So I have no they idea. didn't yeah, they didn't they didn't have trophies last year. They ha- I I don't believe they're they've made a big deal of it. Uh I'm never or at least almost never these days down for the P1 award. Uh but the trophies are back. 
Bert Baldwin says, I have a sudden need to know if Kevin Lee is related to Gary Lee. No. Um, uh, no, I've been asked that not for a long time. And unfortunately, Gary passed a, a few years ago. I liked Gary Lee a lot and we got along great. And I really loved his stories, but no relation. I can't remember if that's Gary's real name or not. I think it is, but I, I can't swear to that. But but this is your real name. This is my real name. I would have come up with a better fake name if I was going to <laughs> come up with uh, a, a fake name. BD Indy says, you guys got to help. Peacock is missing the points. In-car cams, use data, speed, gear, brake, throttle, G's, RPM, etc. Showing sector gaps, but not what sector the driver is in. Easy fix, use colors or sector numbers. Make production meetings matter, please. So that's above my technology level. I don't know that we can snap a finger and do that. Maybe it can. I, I kind of trust the people doing this are smarter than I can. And I know that the analysts are always um, pretty in tune with that kind of thing. And Townsend has conversations as being the veteran analyst about what's possible and what's not. And as we learned a few weeks ago, if you want something done, like a Peacock post race show, just tweet Townsend, right? <laughs> that's right. I just asked I, at this point in life. I am trying to stay on the bus and stay in my lane to some extent. I make some suggestions, but I'll be quite honest. I don't feel like I should be telling my bosses how to do their jobs. So there's a subtle way to do that. And I feel like they probably have an understanding of how television works better than I do. Um, but somebody with a longer-term contract is probably the person to make that suggestion. How about that for you? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I guess we'd call you day-to-day. -day, so I have been day-to-day -day for my entire life, and I'm going to see if I can survive <laughs> that way for another 20 years. So I'm, I'm optimistic uh, about that. So I like that I had a few questions that also tagged IMS. When you have specific ticket questions, the easiest way is to go to the source, and IMS has been responding to a lot of those. So that's good uh, as well. Um, so that one was for TV. And then I want to shuffle back and get to what I missed. I think a lot of these were, I was tagged on others. So tell me what we've missed while I go back to, uh, oh, here, here's one, Andrew Collier. And he did a hashtag trackside. So thank you, Andrew. Was wondering if you had heard Connor Daly's comments on race coverage further back in the pack than the leaders and your thoughts on them. I have not heard his, his comments on coverage. Yeah, he I could didn't. be. Did I you either. did you see? No. Okay. My, my guess is he's saying, you know, we kind of get ignored back in the pack. Uh, and, and I understand that. And I wish there was more of an opportunity to highlight every single driver. And, you know, that's one of these reasons why I'm, I'm not a television producer, because I might do that. But that might not be the best television show just to essentially the way it works is you got to play the hits. This is how it works in broadcasting, whether you're doing top 40 radio or not, and you're talking about the people that resonate with the most or at least that, that's the general perception. And what helps is when we have interesting stories, and that's on us. And it's, it's also somewhat on the PR departments and the drivers to help us help them and give us interesting stories and a reason to sell to the producer, hey, I got a good story on the guy running 19th. And the guy running 19th better have a really interesting or funny story. And Connor is one who does that. I got him on today in a practice session talking about his hot tub. That's unique. That's creative. And that's good. Um, I wish we told every story. And we really do try. 
but there's just a lot of things going on. It doesn't always happen. But in a perfect world, I agree that I'd love to give more love to everyone. I think in general, in IndyCar, more than some other motorsports, I think the people involved in the truck are cognizant that we're all kind of a family. And yes, we have to look at at making the most entertaining show possible, but we are trying to help the business aspect of the teams in motorsport by showing their car on television. And generally speaking, throughout a weekend, everyone gets showed. Unfortunately, they don't always all get shown in the race. I think Connor's just talking about the great the great action that tends to happen in the back of the pack because there has been oh, some okay. really good racing. And the other thing I would say, if you didn't talk about it today on the broadcast, read IndyCar.com to hear Christian Lundgaard's story about being at the Kentucky Derby over the weekend and investing in the longest of long shots with a uh, $6 bet. So the challenge with covering all the passing back in the pack is the way to make this happen is to have a big enough budget where you've got two cameras in every location, because what's going to happen is they come through, you know, Barber turn number five, that camera has got to follow the leaders, right? He's got to stay yep. with the leaders. And then sometimes if you're mid pack, he's still with the leaders and you don't necessarily see that pass as they pan through. Sometimes it works out, but it, it, that's, that's how things get missed. The way to get around that is to double your budget and have a camera that's uh, kind of focused on the front and the back. So unfortunately, they don't catch everything. That's why the copter shots are great, because that does give you a chance to go back and, and see all of those things. We're almost out of time again. It happens. Okay, we'll catch up next week. Uh, let's see. So we're back every night next week. Monday night, we'll be able to recap this race and start getting set for Indy 500 practice so a lot of good stuff tomorrow. I'm sure the radio station has, has plans tomorrow, including the race on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Close it out, Kurt. You got us started. Well, it's been a wonderful day. Hot day. We may have rain tomorrow, but that's what keeps us all coming back to the NTT IndyCar Series. For Kevin and for Eddie Garrison back in the studio, I'm Kurt Cavan. Catch us Monday night at 7 o'clock and all through the week next week and in race week. This is Trackside.